picture his mother there with tears in her eyes as they mocked him and pierced his side. They said, if thou be king, then come to the ground. But he prayed for king. stayed on the cross. Amen. Yeah, he could have come down. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. Amen. Yeah. Isn't that a blessing? Well, take your Bibles. Look over at the book of 1 Peter. Tonight again, we have our, uh, we're honoring our seniors. 1 <clears throat> Peter chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, we're going to look at. Where, where are our seniors? Um, where are they at? Would you stand up, please? Here are our seniors, there's one, two, three. I think there's a fourth one somewhere around here. Maybe there. Not okay, not here. Okay, all right. Came to uh, Sunday school class. Just didn't want to come to church tonight. <laughs> I, I was just trying to say how great a Sunday school class was. But anyway, <clears throat> okay, you guys, we're going to be uh, my my message is focused on you tonight. I changed it. Okay, the Lord just said, hit him. No, I'm teasing. It's going to be good though. But we're going to give you a graduation challenge. All right. All right, we're proud of you guys. We're glad you finished out. You've accomplished what you started out uh, to accomplish, and you did it. And uh, tonight, of course, there'll be a number of people going back looking at your presentations, I'm sure. Did each of you have the opportunity to do that? And that'll be excellent. I'm really glad you did that, and I can't wait to see some of those. Well, thank you. You may be seated. Again, we're proud of our graduates, and, uh, you know, just uh, to start something and to finish it is important. <clears throat> you know, we live in a day where that's not always the case, is it? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> well. First Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We'll try to get things moving along. We've got a few things for you tonight with the uh, gradu- graduates, and we want to give them a few minutes at the end of the service. So I'm going to try to end here at a r- reasonable time and give them an opportunity to move along, not feel rushed. Chapter 4, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh... Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he hath, uh, for that he, for that hath, or he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts. 
excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. It's an interesting verse there, and it's kind of an interesting way to kick off a graduation challenge when you consider we're talking about the end of all things, when in reality it would seem the beginning of all things for our graduates. The saints in Peter's day, however, anticipated the return of Christ in their own lifetime. You must keep that in, keep in mind also that it wasn't just three short decades earlier that they had seen him ascend into heaven. As a result of Christ's imminent return, Peter here in the passage exhorts and encourages the persecuted believers to be sober and to watch and to prayer. The word sober in the passage means to think or act discreetly, to use sound judgment or moderation. The thought that Christ could return always seems to inspire such kind of actions, doesn't it? To make us really be sober-minded. The thought of his return at any moment brings things into perspective and makes us say, you know, I need to be careful how I live and how I act. As far as watching in prayer and praying, excuse me, as the passage goes on to talk about, Peter could remember being in the Garden of Gethsemane. He remembered how his tremendous failure affected his life because there when asked to pray uh, and to watch and pray, he failed to do so. And as a result of that, we know that in the end, he denied the Lord even. So now Peter is sharing with these New Testament believers, these persecuted believers. He's saying to them, now listen, the Lord is coming back. He's going to return And the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be sober and watch unto prayer. Watching sights the enemy. And prayer fights the enemy. And so in this particular case, Peter's saying, Now you get your sights on him. And then you be prepared to fight him. The Lord is coming back. And with Satan going about as a roaring lion, is it any wonder that... this apostle would exhort the people of God to be vigilant in prayer. This message is primarily focused to our graduates, but I believe we can all glean from it today. And, excuse me, it may seem at first that we're going to talk about prayer, and we are, and and prayer is a part of any real uh, Christian life, any successful Christian life. And we must be a prayer warrior, without a doubt. But as you face the future, graduates, I want to offer you some friendly and yet godly advice. As you travel the road of life, you're going to need prayer. And so don't forget prayer in your life. But um, I created an acronym tonight. An acronym 
for the word prayer. And that just means that for every one of the beginning letters of the word prayer, P-R-A-Y-E-R, I'm going to have a point that I want to share with you. And um, the truth is, if you plan on experiencing or having a successful Christian life, experiencing peace and purpose and prosperity, you, you cannot forget prayer. And I'm going to give you those seven things now. And so let's take just a few moments, and I'm going to tell you seven things that you're going to need. And the little acronym prayer. So yeah, prayer. Every time you think of prayer, hopefully one of these things or all of them will come to your mind. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. Bless us tonight. <clears throat> Lord, just take a few minutes and encourage us from your word. Lord, these graduates have spent a lot of years in school. And they've invested time and effort. And there may have been times even where their parents had to kind of motivate them, move them along, encourage them to continue. And yet, when it was all said and done, they finished the race. They accomplished what they started off to accomplish. And now, Lord, they're preparing to go to another stage, another phase of life. May you bless them. And now, Lord, for us tonight as well that are here, in our Christian lives, we're always seeking to go to another level. And, Lord, these seven things that we'll discuss tonight are certainly applicable to all of us, are necessary and needful for all of us. May we all glean tonight. May we all allow you to speak to our heart and to make an impact in our life. We'll thank you and we'll praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, <clears throat> we think about the acronym prayer. We talk about how is it that we can go from this point in our life to a successful Christian life, to living a life that's productive and ultimately yields fruit. Well, <clears throat> first of all, when we think of prayer, I think of the P, priorities. Priorities. <clears throat> as graduates or even as believers, we need to have some priorities. Priorities. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, would you turn there, please? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. <clears throat> priorities. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 through 18, we read, <clears throat> For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So when we talk about priorities, I want to encourage you as graduates and also as believers tonight, I want to encourage you to have a priority on eternal things. To set your affections on things above, not things on the earth. It's so easy to be enamored and to be consumed with the things of this world and this life. And yet biblically and scripturally, you and I as believers must make a decision, a very conscious decision, to focus our attention on eternal things versus temporal things. That is not something that just happens naturally. It is something that we must choose to do. We must choose to focus our attention our actions, our attitudes, our energies on eternal things. In 2 Corinthians 5.1, we read, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. I mean, we have something to look forward to. We do not live... 
for this world. We do not live for now. We don't live for a paycheck from our boss. We live for a paycheck from our Heavenly Father. Priorities. Priorities. Will you live your life with an eternal outlook or a temporal outlook? Will you live your life for now or for tomorrow? That is a decision that each and every one of us make. And as you take that next step into your life, leaving high school, going into the world, let me tell you, you must determine, even now, what you're going to do. Most people make the wrong decision, and most people end up in the wrong place one day. Because they fail to emphasize and put forth eternal things as a priority. Priorities. Number two. You see the P of prayer, we now note the R responsibilities responsibilities we certainly must be concerned about priorities but we must also be concerned about responsibilities now one of the one of the problems that we see in our culture and our society today is although everyone it seems many people permit their kids to run out and get jobs allow them to have keys to a car give them a cell phone, let them have their own accounts on this and their own accounts of that. And, 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 and we, we seem to be saying we want our kids to learn to be responsible. It still seems to me that when they get into trouble, when they make bad decisions, we somehow want to bail them out and not make them pay for their decisions. I, I, I'm trying to understand that a little bit. So we give them all this freedom, but then we don't hold them accountable for it or with it. So then when they start to abuse it, we just kind of go, well, there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, what are you going to do? They just end up getting mad at me and probably end up doing something stupid or leave us. I'm just saying that that's a problem. I don't know. That's kind of a, I don't get it, I guess. I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. I still haven't figured it out. It seems more and more we give our kids the opportunity to be more responsible, but it seems that when, that they're not being more responsible. I, I'm not, I'm not quite understanding it. And, uh. I think it really comes down to we don't require them to be responsible. I don't think we really do. And you know what? As believers today, we're responsible for some things. And, and, I, and I want you to understand that as you leave high school, you are responsible as a believer. Every one of you profess to be Christians. Now listen, I don't care how old you are or how young you are. If you claim to know Christ, then you are responsible for some things. And, and let me just explain that. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. You probably know it by heart. It says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body which, uh, and, and in your spirit, which are God's. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We talk about priorities. That's fine. Eternal versus temporal. But then there's an element of responsibility here. So the fact is today is that God has a purpose for you in this life. God has a purpose. He has a purpose for your existence. See, you and I need to spend our lives fulfilling His purpose and not our plan for our lives. That is a responsibility that we have. You know, we like to make things, you're responsible to pay rent. You're responsible to, uh, to, to pay your car payment. You're responsible for this, and you're responsible for that. That makes you a good person if you just are responsible for those things. Let me tell you, as a believer, you and I are losers when we fail to be responsible 
with the fact that we owe God something to fulfill his purpose. If you're not fulfilling God's purpose in your life for existing, then you are not accomplishing what God put you on earth to do. And that means that you are wasting your time. You're wasting time. Most believers never fully appreciate or accomplish God's purpose for their lives. Very few do. Very few. See, when God created Adam, he created Adam with a specific purpose in mind. The Bible says in Genesis 2.15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. God said, this is exactly, I created you, and this is what you're to do with your life. You're to dress and to keep that garden. Now, it was a given that he was to fellowship with God. That wasn't even an issue. But you are to do this with your life. Now, listen, there's a something God wants you to do with your life. That's all there is to it, young person. You better find what God wants you to do with your life. Because if you do what you want to do with your life, you'll either make a mess of it or you'll end up getting to heaven and have nothing to show for it. And that's true in each and every one of our lives. God designed us with a purpose. You need to identify what that purpose is. Let me tell you what your first purpose is. And I tried to explain this to teens just very briefly. But let me tell you, God created them male and female. Let me tell you that there is only, the greatest purpose you have in this world, ladies, is to look and act like a lady. That's your greatest purpose. Go ahead and neglect that one, and the rest of them don't matter. Because that's what God created you to be, a woman, a lady. Men, if you are created to be a man, then you are to be a man. Act, look, smell, and be a man. And that is the reality of life. And sadly enough, we have a Supreme Court today that wants to redefine purpose for humanity. Only God defines and decides what purpose humanity has. And when it comes to men and women, you are either born a man or you are born a woman. You're not born in the middle. And we have a purpose to fulfill today as men. And you have a purpose to fulfill as a woman. And that is your first responsibility as a believer to be the woman, the lady you ought to be. You ought to look and act, smell, talk, walk like a lady. And men ought to do the same that are in a manly way. Let me tell you, that's a responsibility we have. So if you're graduating today and you're going out into that world, the first thing you need to do, sir, is be a man. Look like one and act like one. Don't go dressing and acting like a woman. And it's the same thing with you ladies. Don't you go dressing and looking and acting like a man. That's the first priority, and that is the first responsibility that we have as believers because we have a purpose to fulfill in this life, and it is to fulfill His purpose, not our own. And then there is that ideal, that whatever it is that God has for you. Although we may be thousands of years removed from the garden, we're we're not any further away from the fact that God created each of us with a specific purpose, a purpose for you. These young guys here, you know, even just seventh graders up here, God has a specific purpose for you. You know, you sit there and you think, well, what am I do with my life? Nobody cares what you want to do with your life. You need to be asking, what's God want me to do with my life? Because, see, God created you to do something, to be something. 
to accomplish something for His glory. You know, we're so caught up in wanting to become what we think we want to be and what other people's expectations are. What about God's expectations? Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Turn there if you would, please. I spent a little time on this because this one's huge to me. I think if there's one thing we've lost sight of, it's, it's God's purpose for our existence. We go through life thinking our purpose is to provide for our family. Our purpose is to uh, go to church. Our purpose is to read and pray. Our purpose is to just win souls. Our purpose is, wait a second, God has a purpose all right. It starts with your gender. And then it goes right on in to that daily life that you live. Everything you do ought to fall underneath his purpose and plan for your life. Everything. You know, I'm going to Bible college. Is that what God wants you to do? Is that part of his purpose and plan for your life? Is that going to get you to arrive where God wants you to be? I mean, you need to give that consideration. You need to understand that we don't just do things because we want to do it. We've been bought with a price. Everything we do ought to honor him, ought to glorify him. Everything we say, everything we think ought to be run through him and his word. Notice what it says here. Not as though I already attained, either were already perfect, the Apostle Paul says. But I follow after, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. You say, what's he saying there? He's apprehending. He says, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. So he's saying, Christ apprehended me. Christ brought me into the fold. Christ enabled me and and, and allowed me to become part of his family and part of his work and his ministry. Now I'm going to reach out and try to accomplish and try to apprehend that which he apprehended me for. That means that every single person that's a child of God was saved with a purpose and a reason to live and exist. Not just to continue in the direction we were going, but God apprehended you so that you could apprehend what he apprehended you for. Do you get what I'm saying there? I, I don't know how to say it any other way than what the God of the Bible says. And then he goes on to say, brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended. I haven't arrived yet, okay? I haven't reached the pinnacle. I haven't become everything I'm supposed to be. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. So I haven't arrived where I'm supposed to be. And okay, I, I, I want to apprehend those things for which I was apprehended of God. But I haven't apprehended yet. I haven't arrived yet. I haven't attained to that goal yet. I haven't reached that pinnacle yet in my life. But let me tell you this one thing I'm doing. I'm not allowing my past to control me. I'm not allowing myself to walk on that same pathway. No, I've got somewhere else to go. I've got to go in a different direction and accomplish something different in my life because I've been apprehended of Christ for a purpose. And he goes on to say, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God has a goal out there for me. And I've got to reach that goal. And there's a prize out there. And and I can't get it by looking back or going back. I can only obtain it by going forward. And God would have me to accomplish that goal. And He wants me to fulfill that calling. And He wants me to accomplish what He called me to do. The question is, what's He called you to do? And that's why we have to be responsible then. Because we are responsible for that calling. 
Above all things, you're responsible with that calling. But I have dreams, preacher. What's the calling? And you can do some Bible study and you can figure out a lot of it right there. But let me tell you, God's given you, He's apprehended you, He's allowed you to come into His family and into His fold, but He did that with a purpose of you apprehending or accomplishing or obtaining something in the mix. His purpose and fulfilling His calling. For me to live is Christ, the Apostle Paul said, and to die is gain. We are responsible to live our lives like that as believers. For me to live is Christ. That is a responsibility we have. That's not optional. Well, that works for some people. I'm just not as fanatical. I'm just not as gung-ho. I don't feel as compelled to be as faithful and committed as some. I mean, it's good for you maybe, but for me, I feel a little bit less compelled to do that or be that. You are responsible to do that, to be that. And so am I as a believer. So we see the priorities. We see responsibilities. We noticed number three, though, the A in prayer, availability. Availability. You and I need to be concerned with availability. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. You may know it by heart. If not, you're welcome to turn there. But it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As you graduate high school and as you head off into the world, that's a terrible thing to say already, isn't it? We're not supposed to, I mean, head off into the world. It's almost like we're saying, go off and live your life. No, in the world, but not of the world type mentality. That's okay. We'll go with that one. But I'm about sick and tired of watching young people that I hear about go off into the world. I think it's a joke. It's a travesty. It's a sickness. It has to stop. It's not normal. He says, well, you know, it's those, like those terrible twos and those horrible threes. There's no such thing as terrible twos and horrible threes. And the only reason those exist is because we permit them. And it's time that we raise our teenagers to understand it is not acceptable to go off into the world. It makes no sense to go off in the world and give them good reason why we don't go off in the world. Take the Bible and let's start explaining something to them. Put them on a bus route and you go with them. And knock on some of them doors out there and see this, the mess that people find themselves in. The tragedy that they face. The horrible circumstances that they walk through. Let them be around a few drug addicts just close enough to smell it and to taste it a little bit in the air. Let them see how it wrecks and ruins lives. Take them down to the morgue when somebody on the bus route dies and let them see the bullet hole in the head. Let them understand what the world offers them. We sit there and coddle our kids. Oh, I don't want to... And yet we'll let them listen to cussing on our television shows. We'll let them watch things about idolatry and voodoo and wizardry and let them read books about vampires and all kind of stupidity and evil, wicked, sinful stuff. And then we'll turn around and say, oh, I would never let my kid get too close to somebody in sin like that. Might rub off on them. Are you kidding me? We need to be available, though. We think about what God's doing in our life, 
He says that we are to submit ourselves. We are to surrender ourselves to Him. We are to lay ourselves open to Him and say, Lord, whatever you want, not what I want. My body is a living sacrifice today. I give myself wholly and completely to you. And that is something that you and I need to do in our Christian life if we want to truly understand the joy of the Lord in our life. If we want to experience success in the Christian life, if we really want to get a hold of some things, then we have to not surrender what is convenient to surrender, but we need to completely yield our whole to Christ. Everything, every aspect of it, our finances, our physical bodies, our futures. We need to give everything to the Lord and trust Him with it. Availability. Will you be available to God, seniors? Oh, well, I'll have a lot of studying to do if I go to college. I don't know if I'll even be able to get to church sometimes. Okay, choose the world. See what it yields. Roll the dice. See how it turns out. I think that there's a number of people in this room you might want to talk to before you roll the dice. There's a number of people in this room that might say, don't do that, let me tell you. I know a little bit about that. Well, they got a chance to roll the dice. They got a chance to live their life before they finally got it right. And they'll tell you it's only the grace of God that they're here because they may not have ended up here. They could still be out in that world suffering and watching their family die and go to hell. But instead, God mercifully rescued them. Not because they deserved it, but because he was just merciful. He may not allow that in your life. You may end up down at the haven and you may not come home from the haven. Those guys and gals down there, some of them were professionals. Some of them had good paying jobs. Some of them were teachers and professors. And some of them were just, I mean, made over six, six figure incomes. And boy, they took a step out into that world and they didn't make themselves available to God. They made themselves available to Satan and the devil and the world. And boy, I'll tell you what, it has changed their lives and the lives of their families, unfortunately. You're here tonight, praise God, you've made some choices to be in God's house. Good for you. But don't make yourself any less available than you are today. If anything, make yourself more available as we go forward. So we see prayer. As we think about prayer, it's so necessary as we know Christ is returning. We realize the world's not getting any easier. Priorities. Be concerned about them. Be concerned about responsibilities. Be concerned about your availability. Number four, the why. Be concerned about yourself. You say, wait a second, I thought we should be concerned about others. Well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? He goes on in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. I'm just saying, take time to look within and see yourself for who and what you really are. You know, again, we we get going so fast in life. We're doing all the right things. But if we don't slow down long enough to examine our hearts, to really ask ourselves some tough questions, I mean, like, is my faith genuine? Is my faith genuine? I mean... Tough questions, real questions like, is my conscience clear? Is it clear? Maybe like, am I who I appear to be to others? 
Am I really who I appear to be to others? When they look at me, is that who they, I really am? Or is that just a facade? I'm saying that we need to examine ourselves. And as you take that step into the, to the next aspect of life, the next level of life, then you need to examine your heart. You need to look inside. You need to honestly allow yourself to, to judge yourself, to look at your heart. I know God's the judge, but he does say to judge ourselves, to examine ourselves. You can avoid a lot of heartache and a lot of hurt if you'll take the time to look in your heart and really know who you are and what you're all about, really. Not just on the outside, but on the inside. And that's true for all of us tonight. Then we look at prayer. Again, we, we, we take that acronym, P, priorities, R, responsibilities, A, availability, Y, yourself. And finally, we look at these last two, E, exercise. Exercise. Now, yeah, I could be talking about physically exercise. That would be a good thing to do. There's nothing wrong with exercise, right? It's pretty good stuff. But I'm talking about 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. Look there, if you would, please. 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. The one thing that we have, and we talked about it already tonight, but what we have tonight as believers is purpose. We fit somewhere. God has a plan for our life. I mean, it's wonderful to know that I don't just exist to exist. I have a reason for existing now. When we get saved, man, God says, listen, I've got such wonderful things for you. But in order for that to happen, you've got to fit in my puzzle, my plan. Make yourself available to that. Examine yourself so that you don't find yourself on the outside looking in. And then exercise. Notice what it says in 1 Timothy 4, 7, 8. But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So give your life tonight to holy living and living right before God. Make up your mind that you are not going to allow the members of your body to be used for anything other than that which honors and glorifies the Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I mean, truly give your life, your body, your all to him in that regard. Exercise yourself in spiritual disciplines. Yes, be consistent in your prayer life, in your Bible reading, your study time. Be consistent in examining your heart on a regular basis. Allow yourself to to focus your attention on holiness more than on appearing to be something. Instead of seeking the accolades of others, the pat on the back, somehow standing in front of the crowd, ask the Lord, help me to stand before you clean and right and holy. There's not one teenager that it would ever go astray if they were really concerned about holiness. And there wouldn't be one believer that would ever go off the deep end if their heart was truly concerned about being holy and righteous. We need to exercise ourselves in righteousness 
and holiness. Make it a priority in our lives. And finally, last, I'm sure not least, are our relationships. You need to concern yourself with relationships. Do you know that life is all about relationships? That's what it's all about. When it's all said and done, your life is about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about a relationship with mom and dad, a relationship with grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles, a relationship with brothers and sisters, a relationship with church family, a relationship with pastor, a relationship with uh, authorities in the world, a relationship with everybody and everything you can imagine. That's what life's about. Go ahead and remove all relationships. Live on a desert island all by yourself. And, and you'll be taking a coconut and drawing a face on it. I've never watched that movie all the way through, but I saw that part. I guess in that show Castaway or something, I guess Tom Hanks or something has drawn a picture of, on some coconut. Oh, volleyball. Okay, I wasn't sure. See, I can tell you. You see how I'm sure. But, I mean, let's face it. Life's about relationships. I mean, what do you, what, what's, the, what's the biggest concern that every one of you graduates has? I'll tell you what it is. It's probably not your relationship with the Lord. It's about you finding a woman or a man. You're all worried about, I want a girlfriend. I want a boyfriend. I want somebody to love me for who I am, what I am. But you know what you do? You'll go out there and act like somebody you're not to get them. And then when you finally figure out who you are, they'll be like, I didn't marry that guy. I didn't marry that girl. <laughs> Let me give you a piece of advice. Be yourself. Even if it means being single a little longer. Because at least when somebody finally accepts you for who you are, they won't have to turn you down later. <laughs> They'll be like, hey, at least I got what I expected. <laughs> <clears throat> now, relationships. See, God's concerned about our relationships. In Psalm 33, 1, he says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In Romans 12, 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And, and later in Luke chapter 2, uh, before that, in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, the Bible referring to Jesus says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You know, I, I don't say things like this. I used to say, you know, I used to say this because I thought it sounded really like hardcore, you know, like I'm really a strong Christian. I don't care what people think about me. Well, that's not very wise at all. What do you mean you don't care what people think about you? Oh, I understand that when you take a stand for the Lord, and when I say take a stand, I mean obeying His Word, following through with a spirit of love. And folks don't understand that, and they can take it wrong, and you say, well, I'm sorry, I can't help how you took that. Even if you think I'm not being very kind or I'm being intolerant of certain things, I I have to take a stand because that's where God stands. I understand. Okay, that's fine. But sometimes it comes across to me almost like, I don't care what people think about me. What do you mean you don't care? Why wouldn't you care? I thought everything's about relationships. God, God, the Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ, at some point in his life growing up, the Bible says as a young man, he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Obviously, it mattered to God what, that he, he grew in, in, in favor with man. See, you young people need to understand, you don't go to your workplace and try to draw lines to where you get isolated and where you can't be of any effectiveness in reaching people with the gospel. 
Man, you need to love people and care about people. And you need to show up and, and, and be as compliant and as careful as you can be about not being offensive just to be offensive. I mean, there's an element there. I, I'm not saying be like the world, but I'm saying this. Uh, I, I don't have to go around knocking cigarettes out of people's mouths and telling them, you know, you're a fool for drinking. What's your problem, you loser? Well, why would you do that? I mean, I, I want people to respect me and I want people to like me. I want people to be able to, to you know, I want them one time in the, and when trouble comes their way to say, hey, uh, hey, listen, I, I know you're a Christian. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to do that if you have no relationship with them. I'm not saying you've got to go out to dinner with them. You've got to be buddies with them, hang out with them. No, you need to be careful who you hang out with because you become who you hang out with. But there needs to be an emphasis on relationships. You need to care what your teachers think. If you go off to Bible college or if you go to some secular school, you need to care what your teachers think. Unless it comes to the point, if they don't like you, it ought to be because they don't like your stand, not because they don't like your disposition. There's a big difference there. Now, as believers... We need to make a real emphasis of prayer in our life. Yes, we need to pray literally. But we also need to be concerned about our priorities today. About our responsibilities. We need to be concerned about our availability. About ourselves even. Examining our lives. Looking deep within. Being honest with ourselves. And we need to be concerned with exercise. Exercising righteousness in our life. The spiritual disciplines that lead to holiness. And be concerned about relationships. Those are important things. As you take the next step, as you leave high school and go into the world, these are all issues and areas that you need to be concerned about. And they're areas we all need to be concerned about. Let's not forget that we're here with a purpose. That everything we say and do has purpose. And every idle word is simply wasted. And every idle moment is wasted. And everything we do that doesn't support and fit within the purpose that God created us for and saved us for and apprehended us for is lost forever. And in the end, it'll be burned up. So let's spend our lives fulfilling His purpose in our life. Every day, consciously waking up saying, Lord, I want to please you with my life. Show me who or what you want me to say and do today. Show me who you want me to speak to. Help me to follow you, to truly be clay in your hands. Mold me today and allow me to be used of you in a mighty way. Father, we come to you. We thank you for all you mean.